0: Welcome to another episode of Left Coast Sports with John Schaefer. And this is our second look at the Pac-12 conference. We spoke with... UCLA Bruins beat writer for the LA Times, Ben Bolts, just a couple of weeks ago. And if you're a college basketball fan or a fan of the Pac-12, I think you'll enjoy it. I hope you'll give it a listen. And before we get started, please give us an auto-download on your podcast platform so you'll get future episodes automatically. Left Coast Sports right now is on most major podcast platforms, including Apple, including iHeartRadio, we're on YouTube. And while you're here and listening, switch over to Twitter and give me a follow there at John Schaefer, that's J-O-N-S-C-H-A-E-F-F-E. At John Schaefer. Today, we're going to continue our look at the men's basketball programs in the state of California, vying for a spot in this year's NCAA tournament with Selection Sunday now less than five weeks away. Today we turn our attention to the USC Trojans, one of the surprise teams right now in the Pac-12. They've got a very realistic chance to win a regular season Pac-12 title. And coming up in this episode, we'll talk with USC radio voice Jordan Moore about the Trojans' success this year and the team's chances come March. USC is currently trending upwards under eighth-year head coach Andy Enfield, who took the job after leading Florida Gulf Coast, a.k.a. Dunk City, to the Sweet 16 back in 2013. And last year, SC was playing like one of the best teams in the West down the stretch of the season. Before the pandemic, they went 22-9. and They finished in third place in the Pac-12, and they would have absolutely been in the field of 68 if not for the shutdown. This year, the Trojans might be even better with the chance to be a top four seed in the NCAA tournament. SC is led by a freshman phenom, Evan Mobley, the team's top scorer, rebounder, and shot blocker, and a surefire lottery pick this summer in the NBA draft. They aren't just winning, but they're winning big and enjoying their best point differential in a season since 1971, 50 seasons ago. The Trojans have been very stingy on defense. Opponents right now shooting under 38% from the floor against them this year. In addition to Mobley, Taj Eady, a transfer guard from Santa Clara, has had a productive season scoring 13 points per game. And the Trojans have great balance and depth. Five other players averaging more than six points per game. They're also the tallest team in the nation with an average height of 6'7", led by the seven-footer Mobley. Now, all time, the Trojans' tournament success has been limited. Their last trip to a Sweet 16 all the way back in 2007 under Tim Floyd. The last SC team to make a deeper run was the Trojans' 2001 Elite Eight team that was piloted by Henry Bibby. The Trojans do claim two Final Four trips, although none in the last half century, with the last trip coming all the way back in 1954. On this week's episode of Left Coast Sports, I'm joined by Trojans radio voice, Jordan Moore, as we discuss SC's return to the Top 25, the brilliance of Evan Mobley, and how deep this team could go this March. So, Jordan, as you know, USC finally in the AP poll for the first time this season. Are you surprised at all it took this long for the Trojans to get ranked considering the season they're having?
1: I mean, a little bit. I mean, I definitely think that they deserve to be ranked before now. I don't put a whole lot of stock in the rankings. They mean nothing. They're not on the team sheets, But I know it's really important for the fans, and so I'm really happy um, that they are ranked because uh, it, you know it gives credibility to our own fans, which is uh, an issue that's been a, a long time at USC, which is this this idea that, that even our own fans um, don't necessarily believe the team's good until you know you're sort of well into the season or into a tournament run uh, it's always uh, a case where they're just sort of afraid it's it's not real it's not really happening and, and I think this team is really good and deserves it. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see them ranked, and, and now we'll see how they handle success.
0: Was there a moment where it became real for you this year when you thought, hey, this team is a chance not only to be good, but maybe very good and make some noise even in the NCAA tournament?
1: That's a good question. I mean, I came into the season, honestly, with not the highest expectations. I thought that they'd be good, um, but I couldn't figure out where they were going to be better than last year. And last year's team probably was going to be like an eight, nine seed. Um, and so I sort of thought that was kind of the expectations for this team. Hey, just get in the tournament clean and, and it'll be a good season. It wasn't until I really saw Evan Mobley in full flight mm. that I realized this is a little bit different. I mean, as good as Anyaka Kangu was last year, as good as some of the players have been in in recent history in the program, this is a talent of a different order. And not only that, the pieces fit a little bit better around him than maybe some of the star players had had the pieces fit around them. So it was just an all-new team. And so it it took a little while before you got to see that, like, oh, this this kind of mix works, and there's a lot of strengths on this team. There are some weaknesses. But when you see the pieces fit together better, sometimes that's what matters most in a sport like basketball.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. You mentioned Mobley, and obviously you look at the numbers and you can watch him on TV, and he's had such a good year. But where have you seen the improvement from the start of this freshman season to where we are now in February?
1: I'll be honest. Uh, <laughs> he's been pretty good throughout. <laughs> I mean, he, he He's definitely improved at the free throw line. If you just want to take a straight-up measurable, he started the season kind of poorly. He was like 50% through the first I don't know, five, seven games or something like that. He's been, he's been pretty lifed out of the free throw line since. Um, and then when you're a big man making free throws, you do just about everything else well. There's just not a whole lot that people can do with you other than, than just double team. And so the other area he's improved is is trying to be a little bit more alpha and make sure that he is impacting the game even when the other team is determined to make somebody else beat them. And so, you know, he doesn't necessarily score 25 a night because he's seeing just a steady diet of of double and triple teams or zones, but he's always having an impact. He's getting on the glass even better than he was in the beginning of the season, but he's such a willing, selfless passer that they play great team basketball often as a result of all that attention that he gets. And uh, again, that's Kind of been true from the start. I mean, he he really is a well schooled. Uh, credit credit to his father and, and his coaches in the past because he he like his brother came in with such a diverse skill set and, and such a selfless mindset. Uh, they're really great team players, and again, that's probably why the pieces fit so well around them
0: how do you describe the rivalry with ucla and men's basketball i know obviously this past weekend a big game between usc and ucla for the top of the standings right now in the pac-12 how is this rivalry received on the basketball floor
1: yeah i mean if we're being honest historically it's the exact opposite of the football rivalry which is you know they're the basketball school and, and, and we're the football school um i think it's you know as always the usc basketball job has always been looked at as like the sort of untapped potential, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, even if you're not you're gonna have the expectations or even at times reach the heights of UCLA, there's no reason you can't be good because you you know, UCLA or whoever only gets three, four players a year, right? So you there's plenty of players out there for, for someone to get good and Andy Enfield has has sort of done that. And he hasn't necessarily done it by out recruiting UCLA by going the, you know and saying, hey you know, here's the best player in, in Los Angeles and he's going to choose USC over UCLA. At times that's been the case. Um, but, you know, I think at times it's being a little bit more creative with roster building, finding the right mix, finding a way to get old, um, which I think is really important now in college basketball, the best teams are the older teams. And despite, you know, if you can get in Evan Mobley, great. But relying on freshman year in and year out and, and roster turnover um, and, and hoping that 18 year olds can always be the savior. I actually think it's how all these blue bloods are getting into trouble, like you're seeing Kentucky and Duke, um, you know, falling out of the rankings because it's just hard to refresh every year and hope that the next crop of freshmen are great. So, you know, when you look at USC and UCLA, I think UCLA has been caught at times trying to do that as, as one of those quote unquote blue bloods that's not ranked right now. But USC, has figured out, I think, a much sweeter spot of trying to either bring in older players or develop some guys over two, three, four years. And I think that's really worked well for Andy Enfield to get his footing in this rivalry. And just as a whole, when USC's been good in this rivalry or in this city or conference, that's, that's the formula that's worked for the Trojans, not trying to beat UCLA at its own game.
0: Yeah, it's a good segue in terms of trying to get old because this year SC added a, a fifth-year player in Taj Edi out of Santa Clara, a grad transfer. What type of role has he played, and how valuable is his experience right now?
1: Well, you know, we lost two seniors. We, we actually lost three, really, uh, from the rotation because you had a grad transfer last year. Daniel, you told me that also started. But when you look at the two guys last year, you had Nick Lukosevic, who's one of those rebounders in school history, and then you had Jonah Matthews. And everyone remembers Jonah's moment to end last season, that sort of great senior moment on mm-hmm. a senior day, hit the step-back three buzzer beater to beat UCLA on CBS. and You know, such a cool moment in the Pac Galen Center. And so you looked at him and you go again, okay, so how are you going to get better from last year when you lose some players like that? And, you know, they brought in Taj. And if you look at Taj's statistical profile, it's almost exactly the same as Jonas at the offensive end. And so... You know, Credit to them for, for going to find a guy who actually didn't have a great year with Santa Clara last year, but two years ago he had a great year with Santa Clara. He lit USC up in a game hmm. when they went up to Santa Clara and lost in, in double overtime and sort of stored that in the back of their minds. And and he's coming here, and he's old. I mean, that's exactly what he is. He's just a veteran. He's really confident. Sometimes he starts games shooting poorly, but he doesn't seem to – ever let it affect the next shot or or his mindset or mentality. So, I I mean, I've been so impressed with Taj. He's not the same uh, caliber defensive player that Jonah was, but he really has replaced that uh, late-game clutch scoring guard, and uh, every team needs that.
0: What type of X factor could Ethan Anderson be in the second half? He's coming off that huge game against UCLA. I know he's been slowed by a back for at least a handful of weeks, if not more of that. Will he play an important role potentially down the stretch for SC?
1: Yeah, I think he needs to. I mean, it's a good question. Ethan's had such a stop-start season. You feel for him. I think the coronavirus off-season hurt him a little bit, uh, didn't come in um, at 100%, and then the back issue uh, just was sort of a result of all that. And uh, it really just destroyed the first half of his season. And then, you know, the team played so well without him, so he sort of had to fit in when he came back. You know, going into the season, He's your starting point guard, your captain. Uh, He's expected to lead the team. And all of a sudden, it's like, hey, you're going to come off the bench, sort of try to fit into what we're doing well. We don't want to rock the boat right now. Everything's going great. And I think that's been a struggle for him as well. I mean, he talked pretty openly after the game on Saturday about that, uh, that, you know, he had to sort of get his groove back a little bit. And uh, he he appeared to against UCLA. And, you know, he's he's certainly a guy that could take – you know all the major crunch time minutes, uh, and be a huge factor for this team the rest of the way. I mean, he is the best pure point guard on the team. He is the best perimeter defender on the team. Uh, he brings a, t- a toughness, uh, tenaciousness to, to to the game. So, yeah, I think that there's a, a ton he can bring if he can build up um, that performance against UCLA.
0: Let's talk a little bit about the, the toughness and the grittiness and the defense under Andy Enfield. I mean, this is a team that's holding opponents under 38% shooting this year, which is really incredible when you look at the schedule. How are they able to do it? Well, you know, you mentioned
1: Andy Enfield. and I just think we should start with the fact that there are a lot of misconceptions about Andy Enfield. And one of them is he came from Florida Gulf Coast, mm-hmm. and it was this idea. Everyone had never heard of him before, watched him in the tournament. That was a great Fun team, you know they had that Dunk City moniker. So you know they came over here, and everyone goes, "Oh, this is about offense." And you know, I, I think even the people that hired him, Pat Hayden included, who was the athletic director at, time, at the time, thought that that was what he was buying. But Andy Infields, if you look at his track record, his real mentor is Leonard Hamilton, hmm. and Leonard Hamilton is, you know, that's Andy was an assistant at Florida State, and if you are to look at what Leonard Hamilton has built, which, by the way, he's an underrated coach who's starting to get a lot more credit later on in his career uh, for what, what Florida State's been able to do at a football school. The U- USC's starting to look a lot more like those kind of things. So Florida State's a great defensive team. And how do they do it? Size. And USC is the biggest team in the country. So you see a lot of teams going small. USC has all these versatile players. Obviously, it all starts with Evan who is at seven feet tall, You know, is, is the top ten shot blocker in the nation, number one shot blocker in the Pac-12. But not only is he big, Evan and, and Isaiah Mobley both have the the quickness and foot speed to switch on guards. And so you constantly see them get caught in switches, and the guards just give the ball up. <laughs> hmm. They don't want anything to do with it because they don't want to shoot over the top of the size. And they can't they can't beat them off the dribble. They, they they know they're going to get the shot block. So it's one of the better shot blocking teams in the country. It's one of the better rebounding teams in the country. You know they have the ability to play man to man and switch. Uh, you know really one through five. They have played some zone at times, and they, they can be super long in the zone. So it really is a, a good defensive team. Last year's team was a great defensive team. So you're starting to see in the last couple of years that, you know, maybe the identity of an Anfield team is at the defensive end.
0: Hmm. Jordan, obviously still a ton of basketball in front of the Trojans, or just in general for the Pac-12 and around the country as a whole, but in your opinion, what would be considered a successful season at this point?
1: Yeah, that's a good question. I think expectations are moving up, right? I mean, you know, success uh, breeds more expectations. Um, You know, just looking at the bracketology now, all of a sudden USC's in that conversation for four, five, six Mm seeds, so you know, now you look at, hey, make the tournament. Now you need to win a game, or you know, maybe make a Sweet 16. I, I think if they made the Sweet 16, that would be a huge accomplishment for this program. It's again, there just isn't a lot of history of USC teams doing stuff like that. Yeah. Tim Floyd made the Sweet 16 once um, with that group with with Nick Young, and it was sort of a surprise run. Uh, Andy Enfield obviously did it at Florida Gulf Coast, a, a major surprise run. Henry Bibby. Early in the 2000s, did it with uh, maybe Elite Eight, um, with you know again a surprise run. So, you know, if they were able to get in as a four or five seed and just sort of hold their seed and and uh, and, and make it to a to a Sweet 16 or, you know, who knows beyond anything anything after that, I think would be gravy. But you know, I think that would really hopefully solidify what this program has done with its own fans. Again, you know, just trying to prove that what Andy Enfield has accomplished and his staff with all the wins that they've had over the last handful of years, turn that into a little bit of tournament success. And I think he'll, they'll open USC fans' eyes to, you know, where this program's headed and, and really maybe go backwards a little bit and give credit to where they came from.
0: What's it like for you as an SC alum calling games for your alma mater now?
1: It's a dream. I mean, honestly, it's, it's pretty wild. The other day uh, you know, I, I call games by myself but I had Sam Clancy in as a hmm. guest uh, color commentator. And for those listening that don't remember Sam Clancy that well, but he was, uh, he was the last USC player to win conference player of the year. He won Pac-10 player of the year in 2002. And he was on that team in 2001 that made the Elite Eight with Brandon Granville and Jeff Trapani, David Bluthenthal and Brian Scalabrini. And you know, for me, I was a freshman back then. So hmm. my freshman year, was actually the year that was with Sam's senior year. So pretty crazy. Just having it all sort of come full circle as a guy that, uh, you know, I love basketball. And so even though USC basketball has never had the following, I've, I've always loved it. Um, I was very lucky from a football side to, uh, to be at USC during the early peak Carroll years and, and, you know, see all that success. Um, but you know, nothing, nothing brings me more joy than, than seeing the basketball program grow. And, uh, it's it's been fun calling the games and uh, just just fun watching them. You know, I, I, we've had some rough seasons. I was uh, on the broadcast not too long ago when we went six and twenty six. So hmm. I certainly don't take it for granted when when you're sitting here at the, at the top of the Pac twelve. All
0: right, Jordan. Before I let you go, I want to ask you about just the state of the Pac twelve in general and, and how many teams you could forecast or envision in the NCAA tournament this year.
1: Yeah, I think five are uh, are in pretty good shape. Um, you know, might have been six if Arizona hadn't pulled itself. Out of contention, mm-hmm. um, so not a bad year at all right now for the league. It's obviously a tough, year, tough year to judge. I think computer rankings will play a bigger factor than usual, and so that's why I look at the five teams that they all seem to be in pretty good shape when you look at their nets. Um, there's just not a lot of cross conference comparison to make otherwise. So, you know, I, I think uh, you know at the top you, you have SC right now. You know, I think UCLA is dealing with some roster issues and I don't think it's a ever since Chris Smith went down, I don't know if they have the high end talent. Um yeah, I actually think Mick Cronin's done a pretty good job with what he's got. I mean there's obviously some really good recruits there, but you know, if you just look at sort of elite talent, I don't think there's a ton there. Um Colorado's the team that, that scares me the most. Uh, they've given USC some problems. They have a senior point guard, McKinley Wright, and just a very physical basketball team. They they tend to lose some games that they shouldn't, um, but when you put them in the, in the games that matter, I, I actually think that they can compete very well. And then Oregon, if Oregon can get it together on the COVID side, um, has a really good roster. Just a lot of sort of talented wing, long guards. They're not very big. Um, but I think if they could get some time on the court together healthy, um, that could be a team that's really good. And then Stanford you know, has Oscar De Silva, who's one of the best players in the conference, and a talented freshman if he comes back, when he comes back, hopefully, and Zaire Williams. So those would hopefully be the five. And uh, you know, it was really disappointing for the conference last year because it was a great year for the league, and to have the tournament canceled and sort of not get credit for that uh, was really disappointing, but it's, it's been pretty decent this year. A um, couple teams at the bottom that have some work to do, but I, I think at least those, those five teams at the top are in pretty good shape.
0: Jordan, I appreciate your time today. Best of luck down the stretch here in 2021, and best of luck hopefully for the Trojans in March Madness as well. Thank you. Appreciate having me on. Thanks again to Jordan Moore for spending some time with us on Left Coast Sports. I'm a huge fan, by the way, of his play-by-play. Give him a follow on Twitter at Moore Sports. That's at. M-O-O-R-E, sports. If you haven't already, please subscribe and auto-download future episodes on whichever podcast platform you're listening to this podcast on. And please give me a follow on Twitter, at John Schaefer, that's J-O-N-S-C-H-A-E-F-F-E-R. Also, coming this March to your view, Advance to Indianapolis, a four-week college basketball tournament show that follows local teams and players on their journey to the national championship. Each week, Advance to Indy reviews the previous weekend's rounds and looks ahead to the upcoming weekend. Each show airs four times per week, with 16 total show airings throughout the tournament. Advanced to Indy includes interviews, expert analysis, along with local stories on the teams, players, and fans that make the madness of March so much fun. For more information, visit yourview.com. That's yourview.com. Next week on Left Coast Sports, we'll be inside one month until Selection Sunday. How many schools from California will be dancing? We'll find out soon enough. Thanks for listening. We'll catch up next week on Left Coast Sports with John Schaefer.